where we are. Chapter 9. We left off at verse 11, and that's where we'll pick up. Jeremiah 9, verse 11. Tough passage. Not pleasant. But it's in the Bible. So we look at it. Now God's speaking in verse 11. Jeremiah 9, verse 11. This is what God says. I will make Jerusalem a heap of ruins. Uh, has that happened historically? Yeah, it has. So we know history has borne out this particular penalty. A haunt of jackals, a jackal, a wild animal, uh, common to the land. And I will make the cities of Judah, southern part of Israel, a desolation without inhabitant. Now God asks a question in verse 12. Who is the wise man that may understand this? Who can explain what's happening? Society is in decline, says God. Things are in a downward spiral. Who amongst you who counts himself wise can give an explanation? What is the cause for this? And who is he to whom the mouth of the Lord has spoken that he may declare it? Why? Here's the question. Why is the land ruined, laid waste like a desert so that no one passes through? So God asks a very legitimate question. Here's the deal. Israel is a people of promise. She was a slave people. She cries out to God for mercy. He's the God of mercy. He delivers her. He makes her a duly constituted people. That's rough for a slave people. You don't think of yourself as a duly constituted people. You think of yourself as owned. And it ended. Now, what do we do? How do we live? God says, live this way. So he delivered the constitution for this newly freed slave people from Mount Sinai through Moses called the Ten Commandments. And in it, in essence, God is saying, I love you, therefore I care how you live. Therefore live this way. And so it was the very law of Moses that was the constitution for ancient Israel. What a privilege. And then God said, now I'm going to give you a place of your own. It's been somebody else's land. You don't even want to be there. Now I have you, I'm giving you your own land. And I'm going to give your nation a capital. And it's going to be quite the land. It's going to be a land metaphorically flowing with milk and honey. Here is the bounds of the land. It goes from the Mediterranean Sea on the uh, west, and there's an eastern boundary, northern. So this is your land. I gave it to you, Israel. And then things changed. And God said, why? Explain to me. You got off to such a good start, such promise, such privilege, such a position amongst the nations. Is there anyone in your midst wise enough to explain to me the reason for your downfall? For you, Israel, in essence, have spiraled downward. What happened? So I ask you this question. Do you think that question could be asked of us today here? Do you think God could say, Americans, people of manifest destiny, 
a country founded on the basis of freedoms, not the least of which was freedom of religious expression. A nation under God. Americans, is someone smart enough amongst you who can give an explanation to your downward spiral? Now, you may say, Stuart, what is the deal? I didn't come to church to be depressed. What downward spiral? Look, look, look. I don't want to depress you. But I think if you're honest, you have to agree things ain't so hot. Well, and they're less hot than they used to be. But I'm going to be to hear me right. Some, I don't think, are being wise in their explanation. For instance, some are explaining the downward spiral of this nation on the basis of too many externals. We're looking for an explanation, and so we're coming up with stuff like, it's the environment, so go green and we will spiral back up. Now, don't get me wrong. Good stewardship of resources ought to be something (coughs) we Christians are fully involved in. But folks, that doesn't answer God's question. We didn't get here because of external pollutants. Then some would say, well, it's because of deficits in the quality of education. And I think there's something to that for sure. And for sure, every child ought to have access to quality education in this country. There's no question about that. But I don't think that's the explanation for how we got where we are today. Some would say it's a political party that's ruining things. It's a leader. Yes, a leader is responsible. A political party contributes to good or ill. I understand that. But please resist the temptation to be quite that simplistic. I don't think it's quite like that. In fact... Because I don't think I'd come up with a good answer to God's question on my own. Let's let him speak for himself. Verse 13. He doesn't wait for an answer. He gives his own. The Lord said, because they have forsaken my law. And that is the explanation for the downward moral, economic, political, educational spiral we and the world finds itself in. Some leaders are better than others. Some are worse than others. I understand that. Different political parties have their platforms. I understand that. Vote, make intelligent decisions. This is all good. But that doesn't explain what's going on. This does. Because they have forsaken my law. But you say, wait. He's talking to Israel, not us. We're Americans. Israel had God's law. God gave it to them, as I mentioned earlier, on Mount Sinai through Moses. No, everybody has God's law. Look, the fundamental expression of the moral character of God is embedded in Ten Commandments. Uh, The totality of the Old Testament is, in essence, an expansion of the Ten Commandments. In a succinct way, God has communicated his moral and ethical character in the Ten Commandments, and everybody knows of them. So, don't steal, God says, but we have stealing down to a science today. He says, don't lie, but we can parse our words. We are word meisters like I have never seen before. We have lying down to a national pastime. 
thou shalt not commit adultery. But people in high places and low places and middle places seem to be feeling the increasing permission to do so. And then if caught, because everyone knows it's wrong, you just say you made a mistake. God gives the explanation for a fairly complicated and complex sociological situation which could get your head to spin. But I'm telling you, verse 13 is the explanation. Because they have broken, they have forsaken my law. So I watched TV yesterday because I want to. And so uh, <laughs> there was a program, it was like a news magazine deal coming up. I think it was on CNN. I didn't actually watch it, but I saw it advertising. It's about two men, two same-gender uh, individuals, who are, in, are wanting to adopt a baby. Now, don't hear me wrong here. I don't have any personal animosity towards the men. In fact, they were quite likable. Uh, it's not an attitude of arrogance or a, uh, I, I, I don't know, some kind of demeaning attitude. But folks, it's wrong. It's flat out wrong. God said so. It's not right. The same gender partnerships. You, you can try to confuse me with all the stuff you want. God said, no. It's not right. What's going on in our world? I want to blame it on a political party. I'd like to blame it on one person in particular because then that makes it easy, you see. But it's not right. No, because they have forsaken my law. I've used my home and garden channel illustration often because I can't think of anything less I don't know, unwholesome than the home and garden. So you tune in and you watch House Hunters and then you see, uh, so there was a heterosexual couple, young couple, beautiful guy and gal. They've been together for four years, renting a condo or an apartment. They decide at this point to take their, in quotes, relationship to the next level. They have a child together already. They're going to buy a house. You know, I'm tempted to see that all that makes sense. They're not promiscuous. They love each other. They're a beautiful couple. They raised a beautiful, there's a child they obviously love. It seems to make, no. God said that kind of intimacy must be reserved uh, uh, to the context of covenant marriage. Because they have forsaken my law. I, what is marriage today? It's being redefined on, I mean, even in classroom, the kids read a book called I Have Two Mommies. Because they have forsaken my law. See, God said that kind of, you, you know what God said? Here's what happens. Um, a male and a female led to explore the relationship, do so initially along intellectual lines and spiritual lines and emotional lines and familial lines. And if it looks like it's a match, then they participate in a publicly witnessed expression of vows of irreversible covenant commitment, God being the witness. And then the next step is to consummate the relationship physically. 
Now, God didn't say do it that way to cramp our style. He said, I'm your father. I know what's best. The most troubled kid on earth is a kid whose dad doesn't care enough to set bounds for. I care how you live. Therefore, I say, do this and avoid doing that. Stop thinking through it. Just do it. Father knows best. But they have forsaken my law, which I set before them. And in one economy of words, God has explained the situation we find ourselves in today, just as he applied it initially to ancient Israel. It is a, an experiment which we Americans, and I think on an international level, are now participating in without even realizing it. It's an experiment in life without God. And it isn't working out. We are more religious than ever before. But they have forsaken my law. We've opted for religion of a man-made kind with all kinds of procedures and ceremonies and rituals and all the rest which may not be inherently wrong at all, but we've opted for that instead of sheer and utter yieldedness to the ways of the giver of life. And that explains the situation we are in today. And any other explanation, though it may be a contributing factor, is a distraction from the fundamental malady. It is us on the run from God. And you see what it looks like. Read the news. Open your eyes. Get up in the morning. That's what's going on. They have walked after, verse 14, the stubbornness of their heart and after the Baals. Those are the false gods worshipped by the Canaanites in the land. Notice, as their fathers taught them. Whoa. So now I knew what took place in Israel wasn't a new thing. It was an intergenerational thing, and so too it is here. Now look here. Vote for who you want to. But the present administration is not the reason for the situation we are in. (laughs) It's multi-generational, my fellow Americans. It's been long in common. It's being accentuated and accelerated for sure. The downward moral spiral. But that has been long in coming, as it was in ancient Israel, as their fathers taught them. Uh, Kind of a subsidiary application. I I made reference to the Ten Commandments, one of which is thou shalt honor father and mother. You know that one? Yeah, but that doesn't mean you have to do everything they say. These fathers passed on a dependence on gods that were not gods. You must obey heavenly daddy rather than earthly daddy. If earthly daddy says, forget about the God who set you free and brought you into this land, and I want you to bow down to some idol, you got to say, daddy, I love you, I respect you, but no. So what does it mean to honor dad? Even if you have the most dishonorable dad in the history of the world, you can honor him uh, by remembering that you have a belly button. (laughs) How'd you get here? 
You were born. You were birthed. You were birthed by biological parents. And even if you don't even know them now, even if you've been abandoned and all the rest, I must tell you, your belly button reminds you you're not self-generated. You can say, oh, God, I thank you for the parents who birthed me. You may not be able to honor them for anything else, but you can honor them for that. But honoring them does not mean you do everything they say. So I was out the other day. And I ran into a guy who I kind of know, sort of knows me. But he doesn't go to church here, so don't look around. <laughs> he said to me, so, you're a Jew. <laughs> and this is like the beginning of a good conversation. <laughs> and he said, you know, uh, I'm really working on accepting you. Yeah. I, could I tell you something? I respect that guy. At least it's a head-on thing. It's a whole lot better than I don't know what this guy's thinking. He said, because my daddy told me. My daddy told me all Jews are money grubbers. Is that true? No, I I don't think so. But it is true that all of us are smart and good-looking. I did. I did tell him that. Not even the hint of a smile on his <laughs> Yeah, my daddy told me this. My daddy told me. Uh, so, so he told me, my daddy told me the Jews are taking over the world. You know, just all these kind of stuff. And I felt like in, in my fleshly head, I was saying, oh, would it be true? And you'd be the first one out of my world. But anyway, I didn't. Nothing like that. Look, here's the deal. He's a Christian. I know this guy. He's a Christian. He's a Christian. He's got work to do. He's got to get the mind of his heavenly daddy. And he's got to reject the ideas of his earth. I didn't say reject his earthly daddy. I said reject the ideas of his earthly daddy. Now, I'm glad to be in the South. Don't misunderstand. I, lo- I love it here. I don't want to go up north unless God makes me. I, I-, I like it. Don't misunderstand. I, I love the South. Uh, but there's some stuff that's got to go. Do you know there's some churches, big crosses, that don't let certain people in? They have every right to do that, but take down the cross. Because oh, that is not a reflection of Heavenly Daddy. You know what he says? Come to me. All! He loves the diversity with which he has made us. We set up barriers. He said, no, come. I've got to get the mind of heavenly. Me too. Not, I'm, just, I'm not pointing a finger at anybody. Me too. There is not this superior, inferior, better. Come on. That's not the way. Do you want to hear the great equalizer amongst the races? For all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. That's the great equalizer. Boom. So, so be careful. Israel, uh, one generation just said, well, my daddy told me. What does that daddy say? So anyway, Israel made the error, blindly accepting what she had been taught. Verse 15, therefore, thus says the Lord of hosts, the God of Israel, behold, I'll feed them, this people, with wormwood and give them, whoa, poisoned water to drink. Wow, does this not square with what I think I want God to be like. 
I want God to be someone who grades on a curve. I want God not to hate sin that much. Yeah, I sort of want him to be good, but not that good. Because I love certain stuff that he apparently hates. I, I want him to give me a break. I want him to just forget what I, forget it, alright? Just overlook what I did. You know what? I want to enjoy God, but I don't want to fear him. I don't want to have to bow before his holiness as much as I want him to be there. I want him to be Santa. But I don't want to be, but folks, welcome to the God of the Bible. These are his covenant people. I'll feed them, this people, with wormwood. It's bitter. I'll give them poisoned water. Why? Because God is intensely holy. He cannot overlook sin. Do you think God's judging America? Yeah, me too. I don't think that's an overly dramatic thing to say. Yeah, I think I think so. We've been people of great power and privilege and possessions and all the rest. Yeah, I think he's reducing our, our size, our national ego. Sure, sure. Our, our national confidence. I think so. Why? Because in the mix, some of us are going to repent and bow before him and submit to him. So that's what he was doing to Israel. Verse 16, I'll scatter them among the nations. Has that taken place? That's called the dispersion, or in Greek, the diaspora, the scattering of God's people. The word is actually used in the New Testament, the diaspora. So to this very day, there are Jews all over the world. What in the world is going on? Do we have a love for travel? No, we done got booted out of Israel, historically. God says, I will gather you out of bondage and set you free. We said, thanks. No thanks. Then God said, you'll go back into bondage. We have. So we've been to this very day until 1948, the reinstitution of the modern state of Israel. We've been guests in other people's lands. That's not a good thing. But as a sidelight, can I tell you, uh, tell you how God's going to make it good? You know, in the book of Revelation, it talks about 144,000 evangelists and 12,000 of them are from each of the tribes of Israel. It actually spells that out. You can go there, read it for yourself sometime. 12,000 from each of the 12 tribes, 12 times twice, 144,000, they're all Jews. Uh, in the end times, a rough time, time of great outpouring of the wrath of God, he's still intent on saving people and he's going to send them throughout the world to evangelize. Who better than scattered Jews to carry the gospel message throughout the world? We're everywhere. I mean, there's a bunch of us in Israel and New York and Florida, but there's even some in Houston. Hey, (laughs) we're all over. Do you know the mayor of Dublin, Ireland, I was told this not too many years ago, was Jewish? Goodness, what in the world? Green matzah. <laughs> we're all over the place. We're in European countries. We're in Africa. We don't, we don't control. I didn't say anything like that. It's part of the dispersion. That's a bad thing. But God can use it as a good thing. Anyway, I'll scatter them among the nations whom neither they nor their fathers have known. And I'll send the sword after them. Look at this. Until I've annihilated them. Is that literally the case? annihilated them, the totality of Jews. It can't be the case. What am I doing here? What about those 144,000? It can't mean a total annihilation of all the descendants of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. It surely could mean the generation alive at this time who went off into Babylonian captivity. Thus says the Lord of hosts, consider and call, get this, verse 17, 
Call for the mourning women that they may come. Send for the wailing women that they may come. So what's on going on there? Countries in the ancient Near East, that's where this is, all had a core of professional professionals who would lead at funeral services in the grieving process, and they were women. Why? Generally speaking, women do it better, the crying thing. They just, they just do it, generally. Men too, but generally women have an easier time, let's just say, expressing on the outside what's going on on the inside and usually by, by crying. Well, God knows this. So there was a, a core of professional crying women in every country. And here's what they would do. If someone is grieving the loss of a loved one, you could hire them to come and join with you in the grieving process. Why? Were they, it, was it theatrics? Were they fabricating emotion? No. You were already grieving. But they would give you an opportunity to get it out in a full and unbridled way. Because they knew if you stuff it, it'll eat you alive. They knew that it is cathartic. It's cleansing to get it out. You know how ladies and men, when they say, you say, I need a good cry. I had a good cry. Something happens chemically, physiologically. It's a God thing when you get it out. So these mourners would come and accentuating, accentuate the grief that's already there. They wouldn't produce it. They would permit it. No one would say, you know, that's not really proper. It is proper. Get it out. It still happens in the Middle East today. Middle Eastern people get it out. A lot of us, you know, we just keep it together. How are you? I'm doing fine. <laughs> not doing fine. So, so anyway, you know what God says? Call them because there's going to be much cause of grief under the Babylonian captivity. Verse 18, let them make haste, take up a wailing for us, that our eyes may shed tears and our eyelids flow with water. For a voice of wailing is heard from Zion. What's another name for Zion? No, not heaven. Oh, actually, Brenda, you're right. That is, when we read about Zion, sometimes you're right. It is a reference to our Zion to come. I spoke too soon. That's good. And Jerusalem also. Before that one. The new Jerusalem, the Jerusalem here, is is called Zion. So it says here, uh, um, wherever I am, <laughs> 19, for a voice of wailing is heard from Zion. How are we ruined? We are put to great shame, for we have left the land because they, in this case the Babylonians, have cast down our dwellings. Now hear the word of the Lord, O you women. God speaks to the woman. Let your ear receive the word of his mouth. Teach your daughter's wailing and everyone her neighbor a dirge. You know what he's saying, ladies? I know you want to impart all kinds of stuff to your daughters, but impart this to them. Make them know how to cry, just like the professionals, because there's going to be so much death and devastation in the land. We're not going to have enough professional Mourners to go around, teach your daughters to cry. How do you explain all this? Because they did not do what I said. That's the explanation. For death, verse 21, has come up through our windows. It's a metaphor. It's kind of like 
An analogy of a thief, when the thief comes, he doesn't come through the front door. He doesn't ring the bell, comes up through a window. He's uninvited. So to death. Death is an intrusion upon our lives. We don't want it. It comes up through our windows. It has, the text says, entered our palaces to cut off the children from the streets, the young men from the town square. Speak, thus says the Lord. The corpses of men will fall like dung on on the open field and like the sheaf after the reaper, but no one will gather them. It's it's an agricultural metaphor because the society was agrarian. Here's what happened. Someone would be a landowner. There would be a harvest. He would go and um, and uh, from the harvest derive his sustenance. But God built into the law this. Leave some over for poor people to come and glean the remnants of the harvest. Don't take it all. You can read this. See, this is one of the things that God said. This is how I want you to live. If you have money, great. There's no shame in it. Spread the wealth. That's what he's saying. Land down, go first. You've done the hard work, sure. But would you let poor people come and glean in your fields after you have reaped the harvest? That's the analogy. God is saying here, you know what's going to be in your fields? Dead bodies. But nobody's going to come and glean them. They're not going to gather them up. Why? They can't even give them a fit burial because during the Babylonian onslaught, there'll be too many to bury. Verse 23 and 24 is what we will end with. Uh, and these are such good verses. I commend it to your memory even. I've been working on this so that when stuck in traffic, in the, instead of thinking of, the wrong stuff, I can think of this. Thus says the Lord, let not a wise man boast of his wisdom. Why not? Isn't wisdom good? This is a different kind of wisdom. Wisdom from on high is good. This is the wisdom that comes from knowing how to work the world system. This is a sagacity that gets politicians elected. They know how to work the media. They know how to work the system. They know how to tell people what they want to hear. That's not commendable wisdom. This is the wisdom of a climbing corporate executive who knows how to accede to the corporation's highest position by working the system, whether it be unethical or not, it doesn't matter. This is the wisdom of the person given to self-promotion and wanting to be at the top of the heap. You know what God says? Let not that kind of person boast in that ability. Let not that person camp out on it, dwell on it, make it his mooring point in life. Furthermore, let not the mighty man boast of his wisdom. That's the power broker. That's the person of influence. Don't you see? These are things we value. We value climbing the ladder with skillfulness, no matter who you're stepping on to get to the next rung. Worldly wisdom. We value might, influence over others. God says, furthermore, let not uh, the rich man, a rich man, boast of his riches. Wow. Now God's getting close to our American home. We are accumulators, we 
are. We've been able to since World War II, quite prosperous, home-owning, all the rest. The American dream. You know what God says? It's not an inherent evil. It just becomes a problem when you make it your God. Why is it a problem? That God ain't going to be around indefinitely. That stuff can slip right through your hands. No, no, no. Let not the wise man, worldly wise, let not the mighty power broker, let not the rich person, glory, boast, have confidence in his stock portfolio. Why? It doesn't take long for a downturn in the economy to make that go away like it never was there. How's your retirement fund? Boom! Well, then what am I going to lean on, count on? What can give me a sense of being settled in life? Next verse. But let him who boasts, boast of this. This is a surprise that he understands and knows me. Relationship. You know what God says? Don't make your boast in stuff you have to hang on to. Make your boast in me. I'm hanging on to you. See the difference? You can't hold on to any of those false gods. Don't make your boast in those things. Don't put your confidence in those things. They cannot give you security. You can be laid off. (laughs) Things can happen. Therefore, make your boast in this, that you understand and know. You see the word know? It's not intellectual knowledge. Everyone knows there is a God. No, no, no. It's experiential knowledge likened unto uh, a husband and wife in marriage. That's the word. Make your boast that you've been called into covenant relationship with me. And I made some vows to you. It was like unto a marriage ceremony. I said, in sickness and in health, in good times and in bad, for better or for worse, I marry you irreversibly. God said, boast in that. Lean on that. That you understand and know me. It's a relationship. Why? Because that's the only thing that we can count on now and on into eternity. Nothing else. Get me? Nothing else. Not your health, not your home, not your family, not your church, not your money, not your nothing. I don't want to ruin it for you. Don't misunderstand. Those are all good things. Don't misunderstand. Those become bad things if they have you and you don't have them. So you know what God says? Boast of this. I have you. Boast in that you understand and know me. What specifically? That I am the God who exercises three things God pinpointed. Three things. Loving kindness. That is loyal, covenant, I'll never divorce you, love. Boast in this, that you know me and that I exercise loving kindness, justice. Wow. We're so repulsed by injustice. A poor person being taken advantage of a needy person, an elderly person being taken advantage of, a single mom being taken advantage of, a nation being exploited, whatever it is. We're just so aroused even by our sense of injustice. (gasps) 
most of this, that you know me and that I really exercise justice. I'm not turning a blind eye nor a deaf ear to the injustice in your world. I see it. I will deal with it. Boast over the fact that the one seated on the throne and to whom you are wedded is just. He's not trying to get away with murder. He's not hiding in the shadows. He's light. He values the light. There are no secrets with him. You have a dad you don't have to be ashamed of. He's not trying to get away with stuff. He's trying to give himself away to all who will. Boast in the relationship with the God who exercises loving kindness, justice, furthermore, righteousness, which is another word in this sense for holiness. We're so cynical, so repulsed by those in high places who have violated our trust. On every circle, it seems increasingly, oh my heavens, I have an Abba Father, so do you, who delights in the exercise of holiness, not unholiness. I'm never going to have to read in the newspaper, you know, Stuart's God committed adultery, called it a mistake. Stuart's God ravaged the country pillaged, stole. Stuart's daddy, your daddy, is worth looking up to. Boast about the attributes of your dad. He exercises these marvelous attributes of loving kindness, justice, and righteousness. Now I ask you this question. What is the sphere, according to that verse, what is the sphere of life in which this God exercises those attributes? Would you look to verse 24? Tell me if you can see it. What is the sphere of the exercise of God's attributes? Got to look a little closely at it. Verse 24. Someone said it, I think. On earth, on earth. Okay. Now you're going to be able to go from this place and sleep tonight. You're tempted, and so am I, to think every once in a while that we as Christians are in this battle alone. The battle for righteousness, for loving kindness, and for justice. (laughs) We know the God who exercises those things here on earth. He didn't create the earth. Give it a boot in the behind and say, take care of yourself. See, in heaven... He said, no, you shall see me manifest my attributes on earth. So now I say, wow, you're invested. You're aroused by a sense of righteousness and love and justice even more than I can imagine because you do it perfectly. We're not alone. We're not orphans abandoned here on earth waiting for Jesus to return. God is not withholding the manifestation of these attributes for when we see him face to face in heaven. He's manifesting those things now. I don't understand everything, but verse 13 gave me an explanation for what's going on. We've turned against God's law. And now these verses tell me what I'm supposed to be doing. Don't try to hold on to what I can't hold on to. Instead, hold on to the relationship that will not let me go. And second, if God delights in the exercise of loving kindness, justice, and righteousness, do not you agree, therefore, that he delights when his children manifest the same attributes? So now I know what I'm supposed to do in this sin-sick world until the Father takes me out of it. 
I'm too, to manifest loving kindness, justice, and righteousness on the earth, for he delights in these things. Therefore perish the thought that the son or daughter of God would not represent his moral character. Perish the thought that we would be hateful and not loving. Perish the thought that we would be unjust instead of just. Perish the thought that we would be unrighteous instead of righteous. For he delights in these things. Now I got an explanation for society. Now I know what I'm supposed to do. And now I'm plenty hopeful because God is exercising his perfections even here on earth. Isn't that good? I'm telling you, this is good. If your hope is in anything else, oh, I can't wait for the next presidential election. Okay, vote. Cool. I'm with you. Fantastic. Are you kidding me? A political messiah of any party affiliation? What? Have we not learned enough? How about the real messiah? How about, oh, God... I pray for my... Let me close with this. Um, I promise I will close with this. I learned something when I watch the news that'll, that helps me, and I think it will help you. Here's what happens when you watch the news. If you're a Christian, you, you feel violated, you get angry, you get hardened, you get disgusted, you, wanna, uh, you just want to punch somebody. So a better thing to do is to pray for the person you're really disgusted with. So I'm watching the World Cup yesterday. Did you watch it? Yeah, we lost. We lost. We deserved it. Ghana was a better team. Okay. But what was cool, after it looked like we were losing, the camera would pan on celebrities who were at the game there in South Africa, you know. I wished it would stay on them because one special box was occupied by uh, former president William Jefferson Clinton and seated right next to him, Mick Jagger. Oh, baby. Rolling Stones. I'm thinking, keep the camera on him. Keep the camera. What do they talk about? What do they, how do they, what do they, what do they eat? Who, who like, does anyone dress them? Does, I mean, how'd they get to the game? Where are they going after the game? Oh, man, I wish I could be there just listening to the conversation between President Clinton and Mick Jagger. Are you joking? (laughs) Then I began to develop the attitude I bet most of you have towards both of these personalities. It probably isn't the most favorable one in the history of the world. In fact, I found myself getting a little... Well, I'm making a point, Ed, if you don't mind. (laughs) I'm beginning to develop this attitude, you know, of uh, disdain and, you know, all the rest. That isn't good. It kind of brings you down. So you know what I did? I said, oh, God, you made them. You created them. But I don't think they know you by name. But why not? Why me and not them? I'm the same. I have the same inclinations they do. They have a greater platform to manifest their humanity and sinful inclinations, perhaps, than I do. But I have them, too. God, as you miraculously saved me and removed the blinders, would you do it for those two, please, that they might glorify you? Okay, so that's my suggestion. Let the news 
be a prayer prompter for you. Pray for the salvation, for the conversion of the power brokers of the world who are glorying in the very things God says you should not glory in, it's not going to work. So that one day, maybe by his grace, they'll make their boast in the fact, yeah, I got special tickets to the World Cup game, but what I'm really boasting in is that I know the King of Kings. It could happen, can it not? People in high places could be saved. People in low places, people in the middle. Anyone can be saved except for the person who refuses to be saved. So I, I want to encourage you. God got it all figured out. He knows what's going on. He's letting it go on to make us nationally empty so that we may turn to him just as Israel ultimately did. He knows what he wants our role to be. Don't become worldly wise and all the rest. Boast in the relationship with him. Spread abroad his love, his justice, his righteousness. And pray for those who don't yet know him that they might be saved. So now I make the news a ministry instead of a malady. You understand? I'm a little concerned because our people are getting way too cynical, too negative, too hopeless, too angry, too down. It's as if our father's not on the throne. Relax, would you please? Go to sleep tonight. Wouldn't that be nice? Nobody sleeps except in here. <laughs> Lord Jesus, we, we could sleep. We could rest. It's the sleep of confident trust. It's peace and knowing the Prince of Peace. Lord Jesus, peace. Not in that everything is pleasant and tasteful. It's not. Oh, God. It's us. Look what we've done to the very good world you've made. We not someone else. We have corrupted it by sin. We share in it. The only difference is some are saved sinners. Us. Thank you. Why not save others? You came for it. You desire it. You don't want anyone to perish. So, Father, uh, help us to stay above the fray. Not being conformed to the world's image, not accepting it by no means, but doing spiritual warfare against it in the power of prayer. Praying, O oh God, for wills to be surrendered, for knees to be bowed, for hardened hearts to be opened to you. Because we found out the proper diagnosis of our problem. We don't do what you say. Father, thank you for bringing us low that perhaps we might then be brought up to a true and accurate knowledge and understanding of you the God who delights in the exercise of loving kindness, justice, and righteousness even here on earth. Thank you, Lord Jesus. We love you. Thank you, Abba Father, for being a dad we surely can be proud of. This we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. All right, here comes Gene. Hey, one thing. For those of you who have signed up for the, uh, the social, I know most of you have cell phones. In those cell phones, you have appointments that you can put into it. Uh, you might want to put a reminder in there <laughs> because we're two weeks out on this thing, and I know how things go. <gasps> Gosh, was that last night? You know? So if you've signed up, be sure to put a reminder. And, ladies, the guys are the world's worst. We don't remember a thing. So I'll be... You know, I'll have Pat remind me, oh, it's today. Oh, it's 
June tenth, six thirty p.m. What? July the tenth. I was just seeing if y'all were paying attention. July the tenth. Where? Youth building, six thirty. Put it in your reminders. Okay, and if you haven't signed up, we still have the sign-up sheet over here. If there is some uh, uh, situations that you have, as uh, Stuart said, we will uh, be more than happy to talk with you. We can take care of it. Just come. We want you to come, okay? All right. We have 40-something, 42, 43, I think, signed up right now. Are you signed up? Okay. All right.